You know, one of the things that we discover about life is that things fall apart. I was talking to a few folks who had been on the Where's Valley team this week, and we're glad everybody got back safe and sound. And, but they were talking about a little bit of the aches and pains that they were experiencing, having gone and done that work during the course of this week. And, and, uh, and, and even though I didn't go and do a lot of work, we got to, to visit there for a little while, uh, I can acknowledge that things do fall apart, and they fall apart more quickly as you get older. But it's not only true in what happens with your body, it's true in what happens in life. Uh, this past week, uh, there have been a number of people who have had incidences where they've lost people that they have loved and had to bury them. Very difficult circumstances. Uh, we get good news from time to time, a, a great diagnosis that comes in, and, and then there are those who don't get such a good diagnosis. Just this morning, uh, Jermaine Copeland had to leave her, she recently buried her sister, and today, uh, just this morning, her brothers had a stroke, and they've gone off to, to be with them. And so it hit me this morning that there's probably very few people in this room who aren't carrying a burden of some kind, who don't have something that's weighing on them, an anxiety, a concern, a physical problem, something going on with family and this morning this morning maybe is a time that we need to unload God tells us that we are to roll our burdens over on him to cast our cares on him why because he cares for us and so this morning before I open God's word I'd like us to do that and and first of all let's just have a time of confession is there someone here this morning who's just carrying a burden, a weight on their shoulder, something that's just crushing their heart? Would you be willing to raise your hand and acknowledge that this morning? I'm coming here and I've got, I've got worries, I've got anxieties, I've got concerns, I've got things that are weighing on me. All right. Let's take time as a church to pray for one another here. Father God, we come in the name of Jesus, the name above every name, the name above every problem. We come to acknowledge, Lord, the pain and the the disillusionment, the anxiety, the stress that we're under right now. Lord, some of us are confused. Some of us are really worried. Father, we ask right now that in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would come alongside that man, that woman right now, and that they would know your abiding presence. You promised to us a peace that is beyond all our understanding, that would guard both our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And now, Lord, we claim that peace. We claim that promise. Lord, we want to roll the burden over onto you and receive With our hands now empty, Lord, receive the peace that you have. So would you do that, Lord, this morning for each of those who raised their hands and for those who weren't quite willing to lift them up? Lord, would you provide in a way that only you can? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're with us last week, you know we began a series of messages in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is 
one of those Old Testament personages, and um, his story's a, an, an, an interesting story. There's a lot here to, to delve into, and we're going to do a little bit, but we looked in chapter 1 last week at the prayer of Nehemiah, and the reason Nehemiah was praying was because he got some bad news from home. His brother had come to him along with some other people from the, the, the nation of Judah, and it had come, and he asked, hey, how are things going back home? But the news he got was, was pretty bad. The news was that uh, the walls of the city that had been torn down 150 years ago, the walls are still in ruins. The people had no sense of safety, no sense of security, no sense of peace, no place to escape. Armies or marauders or whomever might come, bandits, they, they just had no place to run, no place to hide. There was, they were in distress, that's the word he put. He, they were in distress. And this, this broke the heart of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is not in Jerusalem. He is in Susa, which is the capital of the Persian Empire. In fact, he's a pretty high-ranking official in King Artaxerxes' administration, which means he's wearing the nicest clothes and eating the finest foods and, and staying in the finest accommodations that were possible. But as he thought about where he was in his situation, his heart broke for his, 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 the, the home of his ancestors, for the people who lived there who were in distress. And so, and so he prayed. In fact, if you'll remember, he, he prayed for four months. But at the end of that four months, he discovered that God wanted him to be part of the answer to his own prayers. And so we read that prayer last week. And, and we ended, we ended by that last verse, verse 11 of chapter 1. We ended with a little phrase that was kind of left us hanging for today. Where Nehemiah says, I was cupbearer to the king. Now, in order for us to, to get, get a good running start here, we really need to understand what that means, why it was significant enough that it's included here in Nehemiah's words. And so let me share with you a little bit about what this cupbearer's role was. The cupbearer was responsible for choosing and then tasting the wine before it was offered to the king. Now, why would that be? Why would he need someone to do that? Well, first of all, you only wanted to set the finest of foods and drinks before the king. But there was another reason. If you wanted to kill somebody, assassinate someone who was in power, uh, one of the best ways to do it was to poison them. And so by taking the wine first, and I, he was showing the king that this is not poison. You can, you can trust this cup. You can drink from this wine. And so you could see he would need to be a very trusted person because of this. Also, the, the role of the cupbearer was not just for the wine. He very likely was responsible for choosing the, the menu, for making sure that there was adequate food stocks, the things that, that, that the, the king would like, the things that kings would enjoy to make sure those things were provided for him and in sufficient amounts, but not only for him, for his family and all the royal officials who were in the king's household. And there are some scholars that believe that 
the role of the cupbearer was something that was, since he was so trusted that he would also have been an advisor to the king, some have even compared him to the, like the chief of staff for the president, that it would be that kind of, of rank, that kind of role. And so we see that being cupbearer to the king was, was no small thing. It was an important thing. He would have to be someone who could be trusted. He was someone who had almost daily access to the king in the king's presence. And he may have even been someone who was an advisor. Someone he would turn to and go, okay, in this situation, what do you think? So for this reason, the cupbearer would be very important. And this was Nehemiah's role in King Artaxerxes' administration. Now that you know where he was and what he did, let's look in chapter 2 together. We're going to look only at the eight verses this morning. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And as we do, we're going to, here's what we're going to discover this morning. And this may be some, something some of you that t- today are saying, I needed this. And that is, what we're going to discover is how to seek and discern God's will for your life. So if there's anyone sitting here this morning who goes, you know what? I need to find God's will for my life, then this may be a great help to you as we look in the life of Nehemiah. Isn't it great that God can use someone who died a long time ago to be able to speak into our lives even today? So we're going to look. Verse, uh, chapter 2, the book of Nehemiah. We'll begin with verse 1. We'll kind of break it up a little bit. So if you'll follow along with me. There are also, if you're new here, there are also on the back of your bulletin, the back of the handout you got as you walked in this morning, place where you can take notes and there'll also be some blanks if you'd like to fill those in a little bit later so let's look first verse one here in nehemiah chapter two in the month of nissan in the 20th year of king artaxerxes when wine was before him which meant also nehemiah was before him i took the wine and i gave it to the king now i had not been sad in his presence. So let's, let's look at this first verse here. Artaxerxes was the king of the Persian Empire, a vast, powerful empire, um, which is currently, if you wanted to look on a map, wanted to know where that was centered, you look in Iran. The modern country of Iran is where the Persian Empire began. It spread out from there. And he was, he was the king from 464 to 425 BC, so it was a long, long time ago. This vast empire he had, he was the supreme authority. You know, right now, it doesn't matter whether you've got a a Democrat or a Republican in the White House, there's always, you know, some give and take and and some infighting and stuff going on. Listen, that wasn't the way it was with the king. When the king said something, it was law, it was ironclad, he was supreme, there was no second guessing him, no going around behind his back, no trying to override or veto, he was, he was the supreme authority. Now it's interesting to note, here we are, we're kind of given the place and the, the time when all this took place and Nehemiah is the cupbearer is there giving the wine to the king. Isn't it interesting to note what he said here? Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Now, we know why he would have been sad, right? He's been praying for four months after he heard the bad news from home. He's been heartbroken over this. And yet he said, I'd not been sad in the presence of the king. 
I, I'd, I'd always come in and I'd, I'd put on a, a happy face. I'd always be there and, and, and not let him know what was going on behind the scenes, what was taking place in my heart. Now, why is that such a big deal? I mean, I, I may be in the office at some point, or, you know, we may have a staff person come in, I look at them, I recognize that they're not having a great day. We don't hide it maybe quite as well as, as they had to. But the reason is because in his role as a high official, you don't come into the presence of the king with a sad face. In fact, the way they considered it was there was so much weight, so many problems on the shoulders of the king. He had such a burden to bear. How dare you come into his presence thinking your little measly problems are big enough to show up before the king. In fact, in his glorious presence, all your problems should seem like nothing. So you never brought your problems, your sadness, your personal issues into the throne room. That just wasn't it. Because if you did, you're liable to be arrested or banished or even killed. And so it was a a serious offense. It was a personal offense to the king to come in bearing your problems. You're just supposed to have no problems in the presence of the king because he's got enough problems of his own. All right, so he makes a point of saying, I was not sad in the presence of the king. You're going to see why here beginning in verse 2. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing you're not sick, if, you're, if you were sick, you wouldn't be here. Since you're not sick, you're obviously sad. This is nothing, he said, but sadness of the heart. And look at this. Then I was very much afraid. Okay, here we see the situation. He's been carrying this burden around inside secretly for four months. He's been praying about it. He's wept about it. And yet in the king's presence, he has been stoic or even joyful in the king's presence. And today, of all days, it shows up. He can't hide it. The king sees it. He says, okay, it's obvious you're not sick. There's a sadness in your heart that's now being shown on your face. And when that happened... Nehemiah became fearful because this could be the moment where the king said, off with his head. Get him out of my sight. Get him out of my presence. And all the prestige, all the esteem, all the things that Nehemiah had accumulated, his reputation would all be gone. He would be nothing or he would be dead. But it was all about to end or at least potentially could end at that moment. He was afraid. Now, before we look at the next verse, it would be important for us to remember how Nehemiah had been praying up to this point. If we go back to verse 11 of chapter 1, we get a little hint as to how he's praying. He said, give success to your servant today And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. 
meaning the king. I find it interesting that the man who was a supreme authority pretty much in all the world, that in the presence of God, he would just call him this man. He didn't make a big deal of him because he understood when he was in the presence of God, we're all just men. We're all just people. And the, but this is how he's praying. He's praying for success. He's praying for mercy. Now, he had had the opportunity. He could have brought it up at any time. He could have, in the middle of a session, while the king was sipping his wine, he could have said, oh, by the way, King Artaxerxes, I've got something I need to to ask you. I've got something I need to, to lay on you. I've got a problem I need to present before you. He had had access to the king, but he never was able to find an opportunity how it worked in. Have you ever had a, a plan, had a purpose, but, but you, you, you never could find just the right moment in order to execute that plan? Maybe you've got someone who, who you've been praying would come to know Jesus as Savior and and you've been praying about it for a long time, but it never seemed that the door was quite open. It was never quite the perfect time in order to address that issue at that moment. He had had access, but what he prayed for was success. And that God would be merciful to him in the presence of the king. And what I want to let you know is this becomes an opportunity. This is not exactly how, you, you do this, don't you? You're having a meeting with someone or you're getting ready to confront someone about an issue. If you're anything like me, you play it over and over and over and over in your head. You've got this scenario. Well, if, if, if he says this and I'm going to say, say this, and if I say this, I think he's going to say this, and then if he says that, I'm going to say this, and you, you play this whole scenario out or multiple scenarios out in your head, this is not how Nehemiah pictured it happening. Nehemiah probably pictured one day, uh, you know, there, the, the issue of Judah, the issue of Jerusalem was going to come up to the king, and at that point, he would then turn to Nehemiah and say, hey, Nehemiah, what do you think? Never happened. This is not the open door that Nehemiah was looking for. This is not how he expected the issue to come out. But it's the open door that God had planned, and we will see why. This is the answer. This is the answer to Nehemiah's prayer. It just wasn't the answer he had expected. And so he begins in verse 3. He says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Now, this is a, a common expression. If you read through the book of Daniel, you find that Daniel, Daniel says this to Nebuchadnezzar as well. This is kind of common expression. But it's also at this point uh, because if the demeanor of, think about this. If you've got someone who's supposed to test your food and your water, your iced tea, whatever, for poison every day, uh, you get to know that person pretty well. If they come in and they have a different demeanor, then you may be thinking, uh-oh, they're after me. So, so by saying, let the king live forever, he was saying, I, I've got nothing against you. We've got no problems. I, I, I'm, don't, don't worry about being poisoned in my presence. And then he goes on here in the rest of verse 3. He says, why should my face not be sad? He takes the initiative. He steps through that door. Why should my face not be sad when the city 
the place my, of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. A few interesting things in here. Uh, flip back to, to that previous slide. Y'all look at this verse here, verse, verse 3. You notice anything that's missing? He never mentions the name of the city. He says, it's, uh, it's my city, basically, the place where my ancestors are buried, and it's in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, why wouldn't he say, hey, listen, you may remember I'm from, my ancestors are from Judah, and, and, and Jerusalem's the capital city, and the capital city's in destroyed no why okay let th- this is a little bit of conjecture on my part but i think it fit, it helps you understand the history a little bit ezra who was a priest had gone years before nehemiah had gone back to the city of jerusalem and had led the rebuilding of the temple in jerusalem and he actually started the process of rebuilding the walls in jerusalem but the neighbors on the outside got jealous of that and they said, uh, they went, they protested. They took it all the way to the king and said, hey, listen, this is a rebellious city. These, these people are known to rebel against kings. And so you should stop them from building the walls. And King Artaxerxes said, okay. And he said, nope, going to stop building the walls. You can't build the walls there in Jerusalem. So actually, this is a pretty wise approach from Nehemiah to kind of capture the king's heart, not even tell him where the city was. Because remember, Nehemiah is a trusted official. He has been with King Artaxerxes for a while. And so he has a reputation. And so he, he says, hey, this is the place where my fathers, my ancestors are buried. And it's in ruins. So instead of saying off with his head... King Artaxerxes probably surprises Nehemiah when he says, what do you need? Have you ever been surprised when God actually answers the prayer you've been praying? That's precisely what happens. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't start throwing things. Doesn't start shouting at Nehemiah. He found, he found exactly what he asked for. Remember what he said. Give me success and help me find mercy before this man. And that's exactly what he's getting. He says, what do you need? Now go back to verse 4, the next slide. Look at this. Last sentence. What are you requesting? And then he goes, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, hadn't he already been praying for four months? Now, obviously, this is not a long, long prayer because he's standing right there in the, in the presence of the king. But as soon as the opportunity comes for him to share what he needs, he stops and he prays. Could have been a prayer. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this opportunity. Could have been a prayer. God, I need some wisdom right now. Could have been a prayer. Hey, God, don't let me mess this up. We don't know what the prayer was. But he 
the door was there open in front of him and he was not willing to step through that door without asking okay God is this it that's important we need to remember that when we when we sense that a door may be open that doesn't mean we should just go charging necessarily through it doesn't hurt hurt for us to pause and say okay God is this it is this the opportunity is this what I've been waiting for In these verses and in what we've read previously, there are some principles I want to give you. I want to give them to you so I don't run out of time and you miss these. There are some principles that that we can use when we're seeking and trying to follow God's will. The first of these is be persistent in prayer. Don't don't just give a one-off prayer. If it's a burden on your heart, pray 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 keep on asking keep on seeking keep on knocking be persistent in prayer you go well my my memory's not so good write it down post it on your bathroom mirror on your the dashboard of your car or on the computer screen in your office set a reminder on your your watch or your phone you can do that to say, okay, every hour or twice a day or how many ever times you want to do it. To, this is my reminder to stop and to pray about this thing. Because we can get a little absent-minded from time to time, even on important issues. So be persistent in prayer. Secondly, be aware that God may open doors in unexpected ways. You may have the scenario in your brain. But listen. God has been known to go rogue a time or two. God may not do it the way you want it done, but be aware that he may still open the door. Third, be prepared when God opens the door. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute. But when God does open the door, be prepared. If you're praying for rain, bring an umbrella. Be prepared. Act like you expect God to do something. Never assume every open door is from God. This is where people get into trouble. Okay, a door's open. An opportunity's presented itself. That must be God. Remember, Nehemiah stopped and he prayed. And there have been many times where I've prayed, Lord, okay, I believe you're sending me in this direction. And we have prayed as elders for the church. Lord, we believe you're sending us in this direction. But if we're wrong, Stop us. Always, always, always go back to God and say, okay, God, I think this is it. Give me confirmation. And then finally, don't leave God behind when you step through the door. And this is what we're going to see in the life of Nehemiah as we move forward. He didn't just go, okay, well, God answered that prayer. Now I can just go on and live. No, he recognized that constant dependence upon God was absolutely necessary, not just in the big decisions, but in every small decision that would come along. So very quickly then, let's see how Nehemiah seized the moment. Beginning in verse 5. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, 
that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I'd given him the time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And let a letter to Asaph, to the, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. It's evident that Nehemiah had not only prayed, he had also planned. He had also prepared. Folks, we need a, planning is not a lack of faith. Planning doesn't mean we don't trust God. Planning as we are praying means that we understand God may use us as part of the answer to his prayers. God, I'm not only asking you to open doors and do stuff, but I'm willing to be part of the answer. It's not just somebody else. So if I'm praying and I've got a burden, God, uh, reach the people of India. God, reach the people of Africa. God, reach the people here in Greene County. Guess what? God may say, you're the man. You're the woman. So be prepared because God may use you as part of the answer to the prayers. Plan it out. Go ahead and say, Lord, if you use me, this is what I think I would do. You see, Nehemiah believed God could answer prayer, but Nehemiah was ready to be part of that answer, and he was prepared when God opened the door. You see, he had already been looking at the resources that he would need. He had already been figuring out the time frame that it would take. He had already figured out, okay, this is the red tape that would have to be cut. He deals with it all as he's standing right there in front of King Artaxerxes. He didn't go, King didn't say, okay, what do you need? He said, well, well, hang on, let me go figure that out. He was ready to seize the moment. We need to be ready to seize the moment when God begins to answer that prayer in our lives. And look with me for just a moment at the last sentence in verse 8. He says, and the king granted me what I asked for. For the good hand of my God was upon me. The king said yes, but way higher than the king was a God who said yes. We need to recognize that we have a God we can count on, depend on, rely on, and trust him. And the favor of other people may be good, But there is no substitute for the favor of God. When God has a plan, God makes the way. And he often uses us as part of that. That was true in Nehemiah's time. It's true in our time. The Apostle Paul put it this way. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 
Amen. Don't sell prayer short. Don't sell God short. And don't sell God's ability to work in whatever your circumstances are short. God has a mission. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And listen, if you are a child of God, then you're part of his mission. You're part of his plan. You're part of his purpose. Jesus tells us, keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And trust the Lord to open the door in his perfect timing. My final question I want to leave hanging with you this morning is this. When God does open the door, are you ready to make the step? Are you ready to step through it? Some of you have been praying for something for a long, long time, and you may have let an open door pass. I want to tell you, some of the biggest regrets I have in my life are not stepping through open doors that God has prepared. Whether that's the opportunity to share Christ with someone. I mean, Nancy and I still talk about this. When I was a seminary student, we prayed that God would give us a church. I had a friend who was graduating a year before I was, and he was leaving for California to take a church, and he pastored a little church in Heiko, Texas. If any of you have heard of Heiko, Texas, other than Nancy, I'd be surprised. It's out. You've heard of Heiko. You can vouch. There ain't nothing there. Well, Toby's from Texas, so he knows Heiko. There's nothing. They, they've got, there's a sign that says Chalk Mountain. You know what it is? It's like a 15-foot rock. That's it. There's this little wooden church out in the middle of nothing. And I went there a couple of Sundays just to, to preach in his absence. And there may have been a dozen people there. And it was a two-hour drive or something to get there, two-hour drive to get back. And even though I'd been praying for that, I didn't take the step that Nehemiah took and said, okay, God, is this it? Can I be honest with you? I said, this is a little too inconvenient. And I just let it pass. Now, it may have been that God closed the door anyway. But I, did, I shouldn't have closed it for him. Don't close the door on God. Don't close the door on the opportunities he may have for you. God's been challenging some of you with a next step in your faith. For some of you, it may be a first step that you need Jesus. For some of you, it may be that you need a church home, a place to belong, a place to grow. For some of you, it may mean sharing your faith with someone. You've been holding back, you've been praying, and God's maybe even cracked a few doors open, but you've never said, God, is this it? I'm ready. For some of you, it may be serving someone, you, you know, or maybe God's called you into ministry someplace. 
when God opens the door, are you ready to step through? Some of you may need to take that step today. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the life of Nehemiah and the lessons of Nehemiah. But more importantly, God, we, we thank you that you are the God of Nehemiah. The God who hears our prayers. The God who opens doors. The God who provides opportunities for us. And the God who will go with us every step of the way. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning who need to take a step. Lord, I pray that they would be humble enough and bold enough to ask you even in this moment, God, is this what you want me to do? And Lord, when they get your answer, that they'd be willing to take that step. To receive your son as Savior. To connect with the life of a local church. To get involved in that ministry. To share their testimony with that one who so desperately needs to hear it. You are the God of the open door. The God of the second chance. The God who is ready today to walk with us through that open door. And so, Lord, you do your will in this moment. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name.